we just bow at your feet this morning. We just ask that you would clear our minds, clear our hearts. God, just give us an ability to quiet what is going on around us and be able to focus on you this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So this morning we're continuing. Uh, we're, we're, we're working our way um, through what we kind of call the, the pillars of truth. We're, we're working our way through First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And so we're coming to the end of of 1 Timothy this morning. We're going to be in chapter 6. Um, if you've got a tablet or your uh, Bible, and specifically going to be looking at kind of verses 11 through 21, but you can't help but jump up to the verses before to see exactly kind of what Paul is writing to Timothy. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that. Um, it may be labeled in your Bible and kind of starting in verse 11, fight the good fight of faith. But, but Paul is bringing to an end this letter, that, this first letter that he's writing uh, to Timothy. And it says... But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. So anytime we see but as for you, that but, we need to know, well, why is he butting? Why are we, what is he looking at before? And so if we, we kind of scan the verses before that, in verse 3, he's basically rebuking some things that are going on in Ephesus. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. In the teaching, uh, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unearthly, an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels, uh, about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, um, and talks about constant friction among people um, who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth. Um, at the beginning of five, when he started talking about constant friction, I thought maybe like there was like a camera on my kids at our house. And I was a little concerned, but they're not depraved in mind and depraved, depraved uh, in truth. But we get this snapshot of what is going on, and unfortunately we can relate to that in our current world now as well. He grows on, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And I know we've specifically taught on these few last few verses before in pointing out that it doesn't say money is evil or these things, but it, it, it's talking about the love of money. And it's almost like those two verses should be almost reversed. Like the love of money is the root of all is the root of all evils. Those desires to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, and then it explains, it talks about how it can, it, it can uh, just consume our lives. We had a, a, a teaching time. Um, I taught in the little kids class last week, um, and so we were talking about, and I I posed a question, but I posed it too late because they were kind of on to me already. So, <laughs> so I posed them a question after we talked about. So our verse was talking about the, rich, uh, the young ruler coming and was asking, what, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And, and so basically it gets to the point where he keeps asking questions back and forth. And he says, go, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, give to the needy. Um, and I posed the question again too late because then I said, "What if you won a million dollars or ten million? I think it was ten million dollars. What what would you do?" And we went around uh, the room, uh, and I consistently got, "I would build a building and give th- like give food and clothes to those that couldn't afford it or didn't have it." Um, I finally got some towards the end that they would buy squishmallows and like d- d- you know some toys and, <laughs> and different uh, different things like that. But we got into a very interesting conversation at first through third grade where we talked about it's a heart issue. It wasn't that this man had too much money to get into heaven it was his heart is if you are consumed with that if that is because you can have five dollars or one dollar and be consumed with one dollar so it was interesting for them to to have this conversation back and forth about the importance and so i feel like it it was an interesting kind of primer as i dove into these uh these passages um, this week and in our verse so he says but as for you and we'll go ahead and read through and then come back and look at it but as for you O man of God flee these things verse 11 pursue and st- instead of what we just read through pursue righteousness godliness faith love steadfastness gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses 
I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is in testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has the immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. And he closes with amen. And in verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what which is truly life. And then he closes, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge for by professing it some have swerved from the faith grace be with you and so at the beginning of these verses there there's this abrupt change because paul had been talking about uh, the uh, people the the wrongdoing and the in the kind of the pulse of of what was going on in in Ephesus. and there's this ab- abrupt personal designation that he makes he says but you man of God that opens his charge and, and that had to have that had to have grabbed Timothy's and should grab our attention because the title man of God was intentionally motivating because it was customary designation for like the great leaders of Israel Moses man of God was the title for Israel's you know, greatest leader. We read in Deuteronomy 3 and Joshua 14. Likewise, we read of David, the man of God, in Nehemiah. And the prophet Samuel was sim- similarly uh, described. When Elijah resuscitated the widow's son, she replied, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Elisha was also understood to be man of God, we read in 2 Kings 4. So the title, man of God, uh, connotes one who, who is in God's service. Represents God, speaks in his name. And so when Paul addresses Timothy, but you, man of God, he had to have grabbed his attention. And the young disciple surely would have known that there were instructions to follow. This, the, this greeting starts a place where he <laughs> needs to pay attention. And so those injunctions remain the standard for all who are called to the faith now, you and I. And Paul's opening comes in these four 
commands, really. If you, if you look at what we read, there's, there's, it can be broken down into four, four commands. To flee, follow, to, to fight, and to, to take hold, pursue. And so he, he begins, but you, man of God, flee from all this meaning the verses that we read previously. That is, flee from the things that characterize false teachers just described in the verses 3 through 10, and flee the false teaching that marginalized Christ, was taking away Christ and his teaching. Flee the petty controversies and quarrels about words. Flee divisive talk. And it flee the, the religious delusion that imagines, as it says in verse 5, godliness is a means to financial gain. Timothy is to flee controversies and quarrels about words. He is also to flee those who are promoting what can be kind of called what can be called like the prosperity gospel, like which equates godliness with, with gain. Um, if we desire to be men and women of God, there are times we must show our back to evil and flee as quickly as our body can allow us in the other direction. Then he calls us not only to fleeing, God's service, uh, servants are also to follow hard after these spiritual virtues. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So there's got to be, he's calling us to a pursuing aspect of our faith. Pursue Righteousness and godliness uh, terms kind of cover the horizontal and vertical dimensions of the Christian life. Horizontally, there must be a righteous conduct, conduct and, and uprightness and fairness in dealing with other people. And then vertically, a godly life is called for, which, is, as Paul has said, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come we, in, verses, uh, in chapter 4, verse 8. And then next, Paul commends the Christian virtues of faith and love. Specifically, emphasis on, on faithfulness and love for, for others around us. And then calls for endurance and gentleness. Endurance is this won't quit determination in the face of opposition of the gospel. And we'll, we'll, he writes again in 2 Timothy 3.10, we'll, we will be looking at in the coming weeks. But gentleness is the quality of tender, patient, self-control, dealing with other people amidst the difficulties of life. It's strength under control. And so we see what, what Paul commands Timothy to pursue, this balanced faith, 
righteousness and godliness, then faith and love, then endurance and gentleness. And what I thought was intriguing in looking at that is the, the contrasting emphasis. We're to, negatively, we're to, to constantly flee from evil, but then in the positive aspect, we're, we are to keep on pursuing good. So we're fleeing and pursuing all at the same time. And the irony is that as we as humans many times pursue ends that we know are disastrous and we turn our backs and flee on things that may bring great fullness and joy. So Timothy is to at one time and at the same time flee and follow, pursue, but he's also to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And notice this is not just any fight, right? It's not a reason to throw down with someone, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a fight for the good fight, for a fight for faith. It's a faith, but a fight for the faith because we saw earlier that Paul's telling us some have wandered from that faith. So in respect to this apostolic faith, the truth, the doctrine, the deposit, Timothy is commanded to fight the good fight. And the language here is really intense. Like it, it uses uh, earlier in chapter 118, fight the good fight, Paul used language that was much like this military uh, metaphor and here the language for fight the good fight suggests this the kind of this athletic voluntary athletic agony like a training almost and the kind that takes place in in first corinthians 9 we get uh in 24 and 27 we get a vision of this but like this grueling race or even a boxing match that paul writes about um i went this past summer, um, I was able to go with some uh, some guys. We were like the three amigos, uh, elderly edition, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, all those. I guess it would be the same as now Martin Short and, and those guys. Cause, uh, but we went to, I'm finding my, getting connected here. Uh, we went to uh, out to California and tackled or began tackling uh, the John Muir Trail, which is through the Sierra uh, Nevada Mountains. So it starts um, o over in, uh, in Yosemite and goes 160 some odd miles and ends on Mount, uh, Mount Whitney. Um, which is the highest peak in the lower 48. Um, but we went on that hike, um, and the second I felt like was reading grueling, like type of, not training, but just grueling exercise, like that's what came to my mind. So we're, uh, we're getting ready. Look how happy I was at that point. We're like, yay, we're here. Um, 
I had no idea, honestly, because we were headed to stuff like this. Um, and if you've done any hike, this was probably some of the most, I, I've mainly hiked and done camping and backpacking and all that stuff kind of more in the eastern part of the United States. Um, so this was kind of my first foray out west, um, way out west. Uh, but this was some of the most rugged territory, and many times these photos are, you don't necessarily see where you're the trail, if it was even really a trail, you, that followed along where you were, were hiking through. Um, and so, as you can imagine, uh, here's part of the elderly three amigos, uh, my hiking partners, Doug Wadsworth and Wayne Sparks. Um, and we took many times to, to rest and, and take on water um, and nap uh, for a few minutes anyway. But I had honestly not experience that the the trying to get your brain to put one foot in front of the other up some of the most rugged um, train that I've been on because we started and it was constantly up over a pass and then back down and then up over a pass so when you're going down it's great, but then you're thinking, I've got to go back up. So we started at lower points like this Alpine Lake, but then in a very short distance, that's the lake about the middle left-hand section. And so you're climbing eight, 10,000 feet over, you know, six, eight, 10, 10 miles. But that's what came to my mind was this grueling, you, you've got to do it. There's no other choice. I don't want to see the bill. If I could even get a hold of a helicopter, I do not want to see the bill for them coming to pick me up. We've got to do this. And ultimately, succumbed. I personally succumbed to, uh, I never experienced elevation sickness, and so when all of my fingers went completely like white as a ghost because I had no circulation and my pulse wouldn't come down off of 150 even laying for two hours in a tent. I was like, this probably isn't normal. <laughs> like, this doesn't feel normal. <laughs> uh, and so it was just blessed. God made a way for me to exit. Um, and my hiking companions made it a little bit further, and then they pulled off because of some knees, some knee issues. Um, a similar trip, and this one I do have someone to blame. The last one I had myself to blame. I knew what I was getting into. The second trip that I went on this past fall, I have uh, two people, which happened to be here today, actually, two people to blame. Um, my trip started off like this, peaceful. We were in Asheville, North Carolina. It was beautiful, back in my kind of my na natural habitat of the East Coast Mountains, Blue Ridge kind of, you know, area. 
Um, uh, we were going for a guy's weekend. We were going to do some mountain biking. We were going to do some whitewater uh, kayak stuff and, and just have some guys hanging out and having fun. And they said, hey, tomorrow we should go riding our mountain bikes. And I thought, yeah, I love mountain biking. Been doing it for years. Um, so they started uh, studying the maps. And, well, man, I mean, it was we were like in mountain bike hate, like, People travel from all over the country to kind of ride some of the areas that we we're at. And they're like, you know, if we put a, if we drive a truck, we could park it down here, and then we could leave from the campground, and then we'll it's called shuttling. And so you park a car, go back, and ride to that truck, and then come back. And I was like, okay, that that sounds great. Um, I guess there was a little bit on me because I didn't study the maps. I let two other guys study the maps. Um, one was playing uh, accordion and one was playing drums. I'm not going to mention their names, but here they are. Because as we were mountain biking, uh, we came into some pretty interesting... I kept getting at the top of like a huge climb. Uh, dude, I, I'm dying here. Oh, they're like, we're almost there. It's just a little bit further, bro. Like, we're almost there. Like, here's me. I'm like, hey, it doesn't feel like I'm almost there. Uh, and so then we finally, like, at dusk, make it back. Um, and they're like, you want to know how far we rode? 32 miles. Like, I, we went out for a morning ride and put in 32 miles. Th this body was not ready for 32 miles. Most importantly, my lungs is mainly the part that wasn't ready for 32 miles. And then conveniently, after the mountain biking trip the next day, Dan showed up, and then we all got to go out to eat, and here's what he's got this huge. Yeah, I earned that. He didn't. But there were times on those climbs where uh, all I could, I'm, I'm like, I'm so far into this, I don't have anything to do but just keep pedaling. Or, in my case, walking <laughs> alongside. Uh, because it was just a little bit further. They got me. Just a little, so now the joke is, oh, it's just a little bit further up here. But that's what—that's the type of thing that, like, whether it, it, many of you work out, like at the gym, which I'm a, unfortunately I'm allergic to. <laughs> but you work out. Maybe maybe you've maybe you've run cross country or you know done. I, I know Rusty's not here, but he's running five Ks and marathons and that type of thing. Again, allergic. But the Greek literally means agonize the good agony. And so you run or ride or hike or, or lift, and you think you can't do that anymore. But you keep going. Like whether your lungs are burning, your legs are burning, you, you're, 
you reach way down and agonizingly increase your speed as you come across the finish line. That's the kind of picture that Paul's painting for Timothy. Significantly, really, Paul did this himself. I mean, as you read and you see the the shipwrecks and the imprisonment and the different things that he that he endured. And so he could say near the end of his second letter to Timothy that we'll see, for I am already being poured out. I couldn't think of a better way to write this, and he did. It is being poured out like a drink offering till nothing else is left. And, And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This call comes to every generation. Our generation must contend for the faith. We, we must not be contentious, but we must fight for our faith. Doctrine is all important because it determines the course of our lives. The truth of the gospel is everything. We must withstand false teachers. We must think clearly as we define and see what we believe in our, our, our theology that we get from the scripture. We, we cannot compromise the truth. And as Timothy fight, fights the good fight, Paul instructs him to take hold. To take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you make your uh, good confession in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy already had eternal life as he had been confirmed, as had been confirmed in his conversation earlier in baptism when he, when he made that confession. Eternal life is obviously everlasting. Okay? But the emphasis here is, is more talking about the quality of that. Like eternal life is the life of the age to come, which is given only through Jesus Christ. And as Jesus explained, now this is eternal life. This is John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Timothy, like all believers, has eternal life, both as a present possession and as a future hope. And nevertheless, Paul tells Timothy, and really an extension to all of us, to grab, to to take hold of that eternal life. The word translated take hold means to take grasp of. Sometimes with a violent uh, uh, connotation to it. To take hold of in order to make one's own. I thought that was in- interesting as in looking at that. To take hold of our eternal life in order to make one's own. This isn't anybody else's faith that I'm living on or relying or being. Maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard, I got to make it my own faith. It's not my mom and dad's faith. So there has to be 
a really balanced wisdom that Paul is giving to Timothy to flee to flee sin at the same time follow or pursue this holiness and while doing these he also fights the good fight taking hold of all that he has to eternal life the apostle calls two ultimately ultimate witnesses in in this charge that he gives and he calls the god the father and god the son verse 13 in sight of god who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So by calling the Father and the Son as witnesses, Paul meant to encourage Timothy, not to intimidate him. He wanted Timothy to be encouraged because God is the one who gives life to everything. He preserves and maintains life, and he would sustain Timothy. He will sustain us. And Timothy was likewise to be strengthened not only by Christ's presence, but by his example, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So Jesus had already done what Timothy would be asked to do. So braced by the presence of these two witnesses, Paul delivers this charge to him. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. Command here uh, references Timothy's calling to uphold the faith, to accomplish what Paul did. I've kept the faith, and, and this involved the command to watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It also involved Paul's other admonitions Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Timothy Timothy was to cleave, to hold on to his calling until the return of Christ, which could happen at any time. And so then Paul seals this, this charge with a benediction it's in verses 15 16 god the blessed and only ruler the king of kings lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see Uh, to him be honor and might forever so god the the blessed and the only ruler the king of kings the lord of lights the lord of lords the This sings of his absolute sovereignty over all powers, human, divine, who alone is immortal, literally, who alone possesses immortality, almost a question. This lifts up God as the bestower of life. We humans are immortal because we can't, we won't exist after death, whether heaven or hell, but this is only because he who possesses life has created us so he is the absolute sovereign of all life he can allow us to do that we will only exist because of him and who lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see this celebrates his holiness and and the purity as it's manifested in his glory all anyone has, even 
scene of this is the afterglow of his glory, like Exodus 33 writes. He is sovereignly beyond all humanity, um, but he is the one who directs, equips, and uses Timothy in his ministry. And so he closes and says, to him be honor and, and might forever. So the message to Timothy is clear as he closes. Through your calling, though your calling is immense, um, the God who calls you is far greater. And he will enable you to do it. So man of God, man of God, woman of God, flee evil. Follow hard after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance gentleness fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and as we end that what came to my mind and what I began asking myself I'll ask the same of you what are you fleeing what are you fleeing are you fleeing from sin, fl fleeing from immorality? Are you, maybe you're fleeing from very real here and now things like you're fleeing from self-doubt. You're fleeing anxiety. You're, 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 you're fleeing the, the worry of, of not fitting in or not measuring up. What are you following? Are you following Christ? Are you following down a rabbit hole of, of misinformation? Are you, are you following social media? Are you, what are you following? Maybe you're not fleeing. Maybe you're not following. Are you fighting? What are you fighting? What am I fighting? Am I fighting what I'm called to fight? And what are we take what are we taking hold of? We're called to take hold of Christ. We're taught we're called to pursue Christ. But I can tell you in my life, there's been many times where I've pursued or followed, fought or not fought, fleed or not fleed, many of the wrong things. And so as we look at these passages this morning, I think it's Paul encouraging Timothy, but it's a, it's kind of a, check a heart check for us 
if we are fleeing the right things in the right manner, are we following or pursuing the right things and in the right manner? Are we digging deep in our fight for the right things? Because we want that to be to, to be the checklist of our faith. We want to live away in a way that would honor Christ. And so it's an encouragement that we see to Timothy, and we want to be encouraged. But I think as we're encouraged, we have to, uh, again, check ourselves and our motives and our what's driving us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you just for your word. <laughs> so many times I read through uh, and find myself uh, cut to the heart. Like your, your scripture tells us, your word will cut and dissect and lay open. And so many times I find myself in that situation. God, I, I want to follow you. I want this body of believers here at Harvest to, to long and follow you. God, we want to flee temptation, flee immorality, flee frustrations and, and quarreling. God, I pray that that we would long to pursue you. That we would run the good race after you. That we would take hold of you. We would not let go of you. We would not let anybody beat us or, or tear us away from you, but that we would be able to hold on dearly to make you our own. And that through your strength, because it's only the way that we can do that. Through your strength, you would give us the endurance to fight the good fight of faith. God, those that, that may feel far away from you or beat up or lost, God, I pray that they would come this morning, allow our uh, leaders and, and other family members within the body to be able to pray with them. Allow me to be able to pray with them because they're not the only ones in those situations. I can guarantee they're not the only one that may be feeling lost, that may be feeling abandoned, that may be feeling maybe attached themselves to the wrong things and so God we want to guide and direct and we want to walk along with one another and so God this morning we pray that we would be able to do that to walk along with brothers and sisters week we have the opportunity to be able to take communion. We have four different stations around the room. We have our uh, juice and
symbols of that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. So now I just call you to come, to take communion, come, ask for prayer. This is the